the way, the truth, and the life. Over in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, Jesus comments in regards to that very fact. He said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. One of my favorite writings from many years ago, I suspect 150 years ago, entitled his message on that verse as the greatest thing in the world. He said, is not life the one subject of all Christian teaching and study? Is not life the object of every kind of Christian effort? And then he added these words. He said, sum up the gospel in a single word, and that word is life. Now, whether you agree with him or not, you have to admit that the word life is extremely important. And that makes it of great interest. But that raises the question, what is life? Dr. W.A. Criswell from the First Baptist Church so many years there in Dallas, Texas, had a brilliant mind. And he commented, he said uh, concerning this, it is like God, it is an unfathomable, impenetrable mystery. It is as common as the sands of the seashore, but explicable as God himself. We meet life on every common road in every common day, but what is it? The scientist uh, says to us the, the, that life is universal. It is in every invisible particle of air. It is in every tiny piece of dust. It is in every drop of water. And then he concluded by saying, what is it? So how would you answer that question? However you define it, the life of which our Lord is speaking here is something more than mere physical existence. Neither we nor the disciples need life in that sense. Physically, we're all very much alive. We're able to eat, we're able to drink, we're able to be merry, but there's something missing without Christ. Do you realize that, that every day as you mingle with folks in the world that there are dead people walking among you? They share a common existence with the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, and what have you, but there's something missing. There's a sense in which they are very much dead without life. There's something more than what they have that is greatly needed. And whatever it is, Jesus knew it, and Jesus came to provide it. He brings something from another dimension, something other than physical life, something that by nature is missing from each and every one of us, and he calls it life. He didn't come to improve what we are, he came to make us new creatures, and we have life in the truest sense only if we've been born again. In most subjects related to our blessed Lord, whether to his person or whether to his work, there's never enough time to discuss all of the details associated with it. 
And if we had more time tonight, we could talk about life in the sense of the definition of life. And I can quickly give you that definition by saying that that the life of which our Lord is speaking is union with God. Having a relationship with God. We could talk about the design of life, which is, as the Bible tells us, it's for the glory of God. We could talk about the duty of life, which is our service to others. And here we see the door to life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for time's sake, I just want to define it and speak of the door to eternal life. We defined it as union with God. And we have to remember that up until that point that we are in a relationship with God, that we are spiritually dead. Spiritual death is separation. It's separation from God. And spiritual life is our union with God. And so the door to this life of which we all need is the Lord Jesus Christ. So with all of that in mind, tonight I want, I want you to think about Three things. Number one, the problem with man. Number two, the powerlessness of man. And number three, the provision for man. It's evident that man has some severe problems and serious needs. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out because it's obvious. Everywhere we look, we see strife and turmoil and confusion. Man has needs. And one reason that we are never able to solve those problems and meet those needs is the fact that we keep trying to minimize them for one thing. Take sin, for example, and we are always coming up with some new phrase or some new definition to soften the impact instead of calling it what it is, we want to make it palatable to everybody. And so, you know, we speak about alcoholics instead of drunkards and gay instead of homosexuals and affairs instead of adultery. And that list goes on and on and on. But when you come to the Bible, it doesn't pull any punches whatsoever. It, it makes no attempt to soften the blow. God wants us to feel the sting of that sin. God wants us to understand the severity of our sin. And so God intends for his word to make an impact. So he describes man's conditions in very vivid terms. It might be something that is upsetting to those involved in that particular sin, but nevertheless, it's the message they desperately need to hear. Uh, the Bible tells us concerning the person that is dead spiritually, the person that is without Christ, that he is defiled. Defiled. And whenever you think about that, you have to, you have to think about it in the light of God's holiness. And certainly none of us can even begin to imagine the great holiness of our God being without any impurity whatsoever, perfect in every way. And yet the Bible says we are defiled. We are depraved. That is, we're not just defiled in some area of our life, but our very nature is depraved. We're born into this world for a propensity towards sin. It just comes natural. So we're depraved. We're degenerate. 
we're disobedient to God. We, we are deceived. We are deficient of what God demands. Destitute and, and of course, then the word dead. Separated from God. And that's the word I want to really focus on this evening. Really think about the fact that if you are without Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. So the problem with man his biggest problem is that he's spiritually dead. Paul deals with that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and verse number 5. But to really understand that, we need to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the story of Adam, the first man. Now think about it. God from the dust of the earth created Adam, and nobody was ever more alive than Adam in his original state. In his original state, he was perfect in every sense of the word. Genesis 2 and verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But then next we read that the Lord planted a garden. And there he put man whom he had formed. And then in verse 17 we read that God gives Adam one command and a warning. He says, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof. Thou shalt surely die. One single command, one clear warning, but Adam failed. Adam disobeyed God, and when he did, Adam died at that very moment. He said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now remember, Adam lived 930 years, so it's evident that God was speaking about spiritual death. He died physically later, but he died spiritually at the very moment that he disobeyed God. So maybe you're wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, the word death is simply speaking about separation. As James said, the body without the spirit is dead. And even so, a soul that is without God is dead spiritually. So that's the condition of every person in their natural state. Every person is born, is born without spiritual life. And that's, that's why it's futile for the natural man to try to live the Christian life. And believe me, there are a lot of folks out there that are determined that they want to be a good neighbor, they want to be a good person, and they're determined in their heart that they're going to try to live up to the Christian standards, and yet they never can measure up. They can educate their mind, they can reform their ways, but still they're no closer to God than before. He's dead, and there's no degrees of death. Now remember, this might be some well-respected member of society, someone in the upper crust, someone that everybody looks up to, but he's just as dead spiritually as the most vile sinner on the face of the earth. He might be religious, but he's dead. He might be very generous toward others, but he's dead. Until he is born again, 
He's alienated, separated from the life of God. What a horrible position to be in. What a terrible problem to have. And that's the problem of every person without Christ. If you're listening to this broadcast today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, understand that you have a problem that is is a million times more serious than what we're going through with this virus. Amen? You have a problem that no man on this earth can meet. Jesus says, I am the life. So we see not only the problem, but the powerlessness of man. We spend billions of dollars trying to solve our problems and we keep failing. Somebody says, well, education's the answer. If you want to raise a generation of good people, you've got to get them in school. You've got to educate their mind. I'm certainly all for education, but education is not the answer to all of our problems. There are a lot of people incarcerated today that are very highly educated. When I started preaching, my first preaching assignments, by the way, was in a rescue mission. And I can't even begin to tell you how many doctors and lawyers and men such as that that I met there in the rescue mission. Men that, according to the world, had it made but never knew Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So we keep dealing with the fruit of the problem. You know, we think, well, if we can't educate them, we'll just, you know, we'll incarcerate them. That, that'll do the trick. They'll learn from that. Well, thank God a few of them do, but a lot of them don't. In fact, probably most of them don't. So instead of dealing with the, with the fruit of the problem, we got to get down to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem has to do with man's sinful nature. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Well, of course not. We all know that's true. But the fact is, neither can a dead man bring himself back to life. Regardless of how hard you try, you can't change the spiritual condition of, of, of a person. It, it makes no difference. You can't do it. Uh, Brother Kenneth and I can get up here and preach till we're blue in the face and fall over with exhaustion, but uh, we, we can't impart life to anyone. We can't change anyone in the spiritual sense. Without divine help, we're all doomed. Now, I realize that is an awful, horrible, terrible picture, and it's meant to be. We need to understand the problem of man and the powerlessness of man but I'm not through. I'm not through. There's more to it than that. Although we can't do anything to help ourselves, thank God there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that hope, the provision for man. When, when Jesus said, I am the life, he is setting himself forth as the answer for man's greatest need. Well, what does a dead man need? Roses won't help. He can't smell the roses. What, what, what does he need? Well, you can put him in a new suit of clothes. But that doesn't help because you can make all of the outward changes in the world. But that doesn't change the fact that he is spiritually dead. He's separated from God. 
So the only thing that can help an unsaved person is spiritual life, and that is exactly what Jesus came to provide. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You see, man needs a redeemer, not religion. So many people think religion is the solution to the problem. No, no. Religion is one of the biggest problems that we have. I think a lot of times it's a whole lot better off for a person to be some drunk out on a bar stool somewhere that recognizes his need of help than to be a self-righteous religious person seated in a church every week not realizing that he is a sinner in the sight of God and needs to be born again. You see, you can help somebody when they realize their need, but there's no help to be found for the person that thinks that they have everything they need already. We don't need religion. We need a redeemer. We need, we need regeneration. We not reformation. Because we, you know, even an unsaved person can make certain changes in their life. They can quit certain habits. They can uh, do certain uh, kind deeds for other people. So they can reform themselves to an extent. But that's not regeneration. Regeneration gives you a new heart, not just a new start. A new start doesn't help the unsaved person because eventually, eventually, the dog returns to its vomit and the hog to wallowing in the mire. Eventually, they go right back to that which is within their nature to do. Think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a man who seemed to have everything that religion could afford. The one thing he did not have was spiritual life. And there in John chapter 3 in the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus said, ye must be born again. He needed life, and he could not even see the kingdom of God until he received it. So Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, but he doesn't stop there. That's a wonderful thought, that he's providing our deepest need. But he says, and, in other words, in addition to that, there's more than that and that they might have it more abundantly, more abundantly. I made a statement this morning that I want you to think about tonight. So many people have the idea that this matter of salvation is nothing more than a pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. In other words, we're going to go to heaven, walk on the streets of gold, sit down with Peter and James and John and just sing hymns for all of eternity. All of that is wonderful. All of that is true uh, in, to, some, to some degree and what have you. But so many times we don't think about what salvation affords us while we're here in this sinful old world. And that's why I want you to think about those final words where he says, I came that they might have life and what? Well, and have it more abundantly. More abundantly. Not just life, but more than that. This life that Jesus gives is provided by his death. He tasted death for every man, the Bible says. It's provided by death. It's promised in his word. Thank God for that. Amen. That we have the wonderful promise that if we'll but trust him, we shall be saved. It's universal in its 
offer. John 3, 15, he says there, whosoever. Isn't that wonderful? Because there are a lot of folks today that are looking back on their life and thinking about the things that, well, the things they did 20, 30, 40 years ago and more. And they might even be thinking about their sinfulness to the point that they have given up on any hope of ever becoming a Christian, ever having a hope of eternal life. But the Lord makes this offer of life universal. It is for every person. It's received by faith. That one word in John 3, 15 that says, believeth, believeth. The Lord couldn't make it any more simple than that. He didn't say you have to climb the highest mountain, swim the widest sea. He didn't say we have to count all the grains of sand or, or, or jump as high as the stars. He said all you got to do is simply believe. That's the way we receive this life that Christ came to provide. It's eternal in its quality and everlasting in its duration. It's imparted by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you and I can cause to happen. All we can do is to stop. Stop trying and start trusting. And the Bible says we are born of the Spirit. And that has a life-changing effect upon every person. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Uh, and here the Lord is telling us that this life is abundant in its nature. The words more abundantly actually come from just one Greek word, and it means surplus, surplus. But it means more than that. It means a super abundance. It means over and above. It means beyond measure. It means more than enough. So Jesus is saying, this life I'm giving you, this spiritual life, this union with the Father that I'm providing, it is more than enough it's more than enough to get you to heaven it is enough to meet your needs while you're here on this earth i can't i couldn't even begin in a thousand years to explain all of the benefits of a believer the bible deals with that subject but it certainly does not exhaust all that could be said about it all the beautiful benefits of a believer a child of god and what he receives from being a joint heir with the lord jesus christ but this word more abundantly implies that it's far more than just enough the point is that salvation brings many blessings much more than deliverance we think about well i've been saved that means i've been delivered from the flames of hell and that's right i've been saved and i've been delivered from from all of my sins god has forgiven me and god is willing to receive me and all of that is true and all of that is wonderful but there is much more than just deliverance here because the Lord is saying, I came to provide whatever you need, whatever you need. When you read the writings of Paul, you soon discover that Paul thought of Christ as the superlative Savior, the superlative Savior. And over and over again, we find him as it were searching for some word to express himself in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Bible speaks of the Lord's person and the Lord's work, and it talks about him being the King of kings and the Lord of lords and so forth, but, but it talks about his person, his goodness, his grace, but it also, it also reminds us of his gifts. So when the Lord says, I came that you might not just have life, but that you might have it more abundantly, that includes all of these things that are afforded as a result of being born again. And that includes the gifts that God has heaped upon those who trust him. How about this one? A love that passeth knowledge. Isn't it wonderful? I, no unsaved person really knows what it is to love in the truest sense. Oh, I know a mother has that motherly love for her child. I understand that. I understand that young couples fall in love and, you know, they get married and raise a family. I understand that. But the love I'm talking about, that God kind of love, we don't really know anything about until we've accepted Christ as our Savior. He says, a love that passeth knowledge. It's as though Paul is saying, I can't even explain this. And whenever you think about the fact that the Lord tells us that we're to love our enemies, and sometimes those that have offended us or hurt our loved ones, when we think to ourselves, how in the world could I possibly ever love somebody like that? They are so unlovely. Well, then we stop and think, he loved us in that while we were yet sinners. Listen, folks, we're all unlovely. And, and those that have been saved, they begin to discover that they are in a way they can't even understand. They begin to love people that they never thought they could possibly love. So there is this, this love. This abundance that passeth knowledge. There is joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Again, Paul is saying it's unspeakable. I, I can't explain this. It's, you know, I, I just can't. It's unspeakable. It's full of glory. And isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thing that even in the midst of a crisis, now I know that we don't sit around and rejoice in the suffering and the pain of other people, but I'll tell you the Bible says we're to rejoice in the Lord always. Always. We always got something to rejoice about. Every child of God can rejoice regardless of what the situation is. And we need to focus on that, especially during this crisis and through these hard times. And whenever people are so frightened, we need to focus on something to rejoice about. And that's the Lord. He gives a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And He gives us a peace. But it's not just peace. It's a peace that Paul says... It passeth all understanding. I, I can't even comprehend it. It passes all understanding. And there are so many times, so many times that we find ourselves in a crisis. And we cry and we pray. And we wonder. And we keep praying. We don't understand what's going on in our life. It just doesn't seem fair to us but we just keep praying and we understand that times we don't even know how to pray, what to say. And then we're reminded by the Holy Spirit that he hears the groaning of our heart. And that's prayer enough for God. He knows what we're feeling, even though we can't explain it. 
And it's in those times that all of a sudden, even though the situation hasn't changed, your loved one is still in the hospital, your loved one is still at the point of death, and all of a sudden, there's this deep, settled peace that comes into your heart. You, you, you haven't received a phone call from the doctor saying they've turned the corner, they're going to be all right now. You don't have any inside scoop on the situation. But God is just assuring you that it's going to be all right. I'm in control. I've got this. A peace that passeth all understanding. And then we find this life that is more abundant gives us a hope that is both sure and steadfast. It's sure. You can depend upon this hope. This morning I spoke about why it is that we can have hope in this troubled world. We can have hope because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of his presence to be with us and to be an ever-present help in a time of trouble. And thank God for that. That gives us hope, and that is a sure hope. It's a steadfast hope. It's not going to change. And then he gives us a power that is described by Paul as being exceeding abundant. He tells us that our God is able to do even above that which we can ask or think. But he goes on and he speaks about the power and he says it's the power that works in us. And he tells us that it's the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. He says it's working in you. So as a child of God, you have the Spirit of God working in you and the Spirit of God raised up the Son of God, and we'll celebrate that next week. But understand that whatever has died in your life, whatever need you have, whatever, whatever circumstances you're in, you have a God that's with you that's able to give you the power, the strength to prevail. He gives us then provisions. Isn't that wonderful? Where in the world could you get a promise like Philippians 4.19? Paul says, but my God shall supply all your need. And then he adds this. This is the abundant part. He shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. He didn't say out of his riches so as to deplete the supply. In this crisis that we're in, there are a lot of hospitals and a lot of places that are in great need of medical equipment. And there's a shortage of of a lot of these things. And naturally, if someone has a certain number of masks or uh, other uh, equipment that is necessary and they share that with another hospital, then they've got less than what they had. But when you think about God supplying all of our need, not just some of it, but all our need, it's according to his riches in glory. And let me tell you, that never runs out. Regardless of how much God gives, God has that much more left. We never deplete the resources that God has. It's more than enough. And that ought to be enough for every single one of us. There are folks right now wondering how in the world am I going to get by? What am I going to do? I've been laid off. I can't pay my bills. It doesn't look like I'll get my job back. I'm just in a state of panic. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. 
You might not get all of the things you want in life, but you don't need all the things you want in life. But if we seek the kingdom of God first, if we seek to please him more than anything, we have the promise that he's going to take care of us. Provisions according to his riches in glory. And lastly, we have promises that Peter says are exceeding great and precious exceeding great and precious we could never stop talking about all of the wonderful promises that we have in this blessed old book that i hold in my hand thank god for those promises that god has given knowing that he cannot lie dear friend if you're listening to this broadcast today and you've never received christ you don't have the life that he came to provide understand what all you're missing, please. It, it just breaks my heart to think, to think that this broadcast would go out and that there's someone that is listening this evening that would go on and ignore what has been said and to go on in their ways without Christ, whatever you do. You don't have to like me. You don't have to like this church. But I'll tell you, you ought to love Jesus because he loved you enough that he died on the cross for your sins. He shed his blood that you might be forgiven. And God's willing to receive you into his family. To have a, a union with you. To make you a joint heir with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Don't walk away from that. Trust him today before it's too late. And if you're watching here this evening and you're a child of God... Please understand what you have is much more in salvation than deliverance from hell and assurance of heaven. You have all of these things that are given in abundance. You have more than enough from love that passeth knowledge and joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passeth all understanding. And all of those all belong to you just waiting for you to claim what Jesus has already provided. Stake your claim tonight on God's promises. Trust Him to do what He said that He would. And rather, instead of living in a state of panic because of what's going on, understand He is in complete, total control at all times. I don't understand it either. I couldn't give you an explanation, but I'll tell you this. God's in control of it. Nothing's going to happen without God allowing it to happen. You can trust him. He has proven himself to be both faithful and true. I pray tonight that you will rest your weary soul upon his great promises, whether it's for salvation or just the strength that you need to go on and to get through this crisis. May God bless each and every one of you. Let us bow in prayer. Father, again, how we thank you, Lord, for your blessed word. How we thank you for your people, for the wonderful privilege to be able to, to serve you and to declare the word of God that is able to meet the needs of man. And Lord, tonight, I pray that some lost sinner will see Jesus as the way to salvation. That they'll look upon him with faith, knowing that he is the truth and that they'll receive him as the life 
that they so desperately need. So less, uh, tonight, lest we neglect the needs of those folks, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will work on their heart and do what is impossible for us and speak to them in ways that we can understand, help them to see their need and help them to understand Jesus really is the answer. For we pray in his name, amen. God bless.